Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, as promised, second part of the 15 and 60. And since we weren't able to finish it the first time around, we'll make this one free for listeners as well. Of course, you can subscribe to Dunked On Prime via the link in the description. And for those in more difficult financial straits, if you check the letter that's in my pinned tweet, you can find out information if you're in a, a, a more difficult financial situation, but still would like the content. There is a way to get a reduced rate on that. But uh, that information is all in my pinned tweet and the letter we have there talking about Dunked On Prime. So let's get into the rest of the West here with the Memphis Grizzlies, Danny. Yeah, the Grizzlies are now 14 and 10, a surprisingly strong 8 and 3 since the last 15 and 60, and that includes their win over a shorthanded, well, bamless Miami team on Monday. They're still, despite being over 500, below water in net rating, negative 0.8 per quitting the glass, which is 18th in the league, 11th on offense, 26th on defense. And both 538 models are pretty optimistic on the, on the Grizz now. They've actually bumped a lot in the last couple of days. Projected to be fifth in the West with 45 wins, 80% chance on Raptor, and then a 76% chance of making the playoffs in the ELO model. Uh, I think a good place to start with this is a question from at ParkerVB901. What is the realistic path for Memphis to get to championship contention? Well, it starts obviously with Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant becoming all-star level players job being all nba and jaron jackson being an all-star and i think both have taken some pretty good strides in that direction so far jaron jackson to me despite all the issues that they've had on defense this year i think he's taken some steps forward he's not following as much his rim protection and his help rotations have been much better he's just getting his hands uh, on more balls the statistics in terms of deterring shots uh, and forcing guys to shoot a lower percentage around the rim are pretty solid. Offensively, I would like to see a little bit more domination from two-point range for him. And he's not quite at the crazy level of three-point shooting that he was two years ago, but 37% obviously is totally fine. I just think he's not taking enough shots around the rim, and some of his post-ups have been pretty ugly. Those hook shots are not going down for him this year. So I I think there should be more space for him to get, especially when he's playing center, to get to the rim more than he is. But overall, I think it's been a successful season so far for Jaron Jackson Jr. because he's taking a little bit of that step on on the defensive end. They're not getting... What did they... What's the rebounding like with him at center? That's something actually we should probably look at. I looked at it earlier, but I should probably update it now. Okay, when Jaron Jackson is at center, they have a um, 28 opponent offensive rebound percentage. That's not great. They're- no, that's that's not great. And, and they're yeah, fouling you- a ton in those lineups too. Um, one of the higher foul rates in the league. Yeah, so that's still not incredible. Uh, now, there are other players on the team who also have to play defense and rebound in addition to him. Uh, but I, I think they're getting to a point now where, uh, and you know, his box out technique is still not amazing. Um, so, so those are the two biggest things that need to happen. And then uh, someone on Bain, Dyer Williams, or uh, potentially a future draft pick is going to need to become a potential third star on the wing. Dylan Brooks, I think, is kind of is what he is. Maybe more of a bench scored. I think he can start still, but as me, not a guy that you want having a huge role in your starting group offensively. I would say, but I, I think they're Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr. taking a step forward was kind of the number one thing, and obviously, uh, particularly Jaron Jackson Jr. has to continue with that. But I think that those 
the play of those two so far is one of the more encouraging things for Memphis this season. Yeah, and I'll say it's a pretty high bar not because to me, the amount of teams that have won a championship without an MVP caliber player is pretty low. You need to really, I mean, probably need a guy like Kawhi to, to honestly to make that happen. And it's rare for guard-sized players to be MVP caliber. It can happen. It has happened. But, the, you know, John Morant's going to have to make it pretty deep in, into all this. I think it's possible. The other path for the Grizzlies is that, you know, they have meaningful cap space and they could open up even more pretty easily if they wanted to move on from somebody like Melton if they I mean I like I like the Anthony Melton but if you wanted to get into like that 25 million dollar maybe you can get somebody through a trade or through a signing that can be the target you know you don't necessarily have to get the you know the idea with Christoph Porzingis where it's the second best player on your franchise moving forward if you could get a strong number three that would really move the needle especially if that guy was a forward that could kind of balance the rotation a little bit yeah so uh Daco Carter is asking our thoughts on uh, Desmond Bain he he says he likes uh, his pick and roll passing ability yeah, I, I, I've liked it too. Being more comfortable with the ball in his hands now, and like the, the preliminary pick and roll numbers are pretty good if you include passes 0.85 points per possession, which is, you know, that's around, that's middle of the road, but middle of the road for somebody who hasn't been asked to do that before is actually pretty good. The challenge for me in that element with Bain, though, is just, okay, he's better at that than you thought, but how do you maximize that? And is it's more opportunistic for me than you're going to use it all the time, but always good for a player to have more skills than you expected. And I, so I like Bain. I think that he can fit in well. I, I don't know yet whether he's like a surefire starter or somebody that can be, you know, that can be in that mix at, at moments of time. And I'm, I'm going to be interested, you know, as he gets stronger in terms of can, how how much of a multi-positional defender can he be? And like, can he slide either direction from the, from being the two as his base position? And the more, the more he can do on that end, even if he's not the lead defender on all these guys, that gives you more latitude for that other player. And so I like Bain. I think that he, it's encouraging that he has been asked to do more and has done more this year. But part of the reason guys end up getting slotted as 3 and D is because they're not good enough at those things, even if they're capable to make it something that a team really wants to focus on and feature. Got an interesting question from from Josh, um, basically with the idea that if, if Bain, Melton, and Morant are on the guard positions, then you have some of the other some of the other things. Is it a rough skeleton of like a Warriors esque team with a superstar point guard and being able to switch one to five? Well, I don't think you could switch one to five necessarily with all of their personnel. I think you might actually go for a couple different archetypes depending on which lives are out there. I mean, I don't jaw as much as I like him as a player. That's not really something that he does well, and he is a point of failure defensively significantly more than Steph. But one of the challenges there this is ties in with something that i brought up in terms of the third best player is that i think you need a lot more depth and defensive intelligence to really reach that ball like the warriors especially if we're talking about the 14 15 warriors which i think is the you're not you're not getting kevin durant in here so that's that's probably the model that you're going for that's going to take a lot of development for the players that they already have and potentially getting that number three through free agency or trade so i i think i think the idea is interesting and in that you kind of going more for that model than some of the other ones that are out there but I want to take a second to appreciate how hard it is to build a championship level team with that model. Yeah, I think so. And obviously, Ja will have to get better defensively if if that's going to work. And obviously, I think Jaron Jackson will have to get better defensively. And they'll you know, Dylan Brooks is there. They still need really, I'd say, you know, maybe you could put Bain into that category. But now you're kind of Brooks doesn't have much of a wingspan. Bain doesn't have much of a wingspan. So and then whoever your four is going to be, if Jackson is your five, they're just those Warriors teams yeah you know they had Green at center and Curry at the one those guys are maybe a little undersized for a switching group but obviously Green is unbelievable there but then they had a two in Clay Thompson who had a lot of size and then Iguodala and Barnes or KD who who gave them a lot of size at the three and four and a lot of length a lot of defensive playmaking off the ball as well which Bain and Bain is better at it, I think than Brooks is but Brooks is kind of more of a just stick to my guy sort of defender so I do see maybe some broad outlines there that they could play that way but I also don't foresee it being as effective as for a team like Golden State um by the way Danny just wanted to I, I looked at Bain I think he might have been uh, we might have been off uh, on that uh his overall pick and roll derived offense which includes both his scoring attempts and passes is 0.96 points per possession oh i was look, i was looking at a limited one you're right that thank you thank you for correcting that i was looking at the wrong line yeah that's okay there's a, about like 97 actually that's low <laughs> there are way more than 97 different bros uh on the, the synergy pages but yeah so those numbers have been more encouraging and just to get a little bit deeper into bane's uh, performance in the pick and roll 
basically dribble jumpers and runners. That's 27 of his 34 attempts out of pick and roll have come that way he's only gotten to the basket six times three out of six uh, on those got fouled once he's i think his his finishing at the basket is a little bit rough just because his arms are so short and it's just tough for him to get that extension and get the ball of the shot blocker he's not a, an explosive athlete either i think he's being more of a second side guy i think is probably going to max out where he can be and yeah you know the fact that he can lay in the clock take some two-point jumpers and make him out of pick and roll through a few passes nice but i also don't think that he is gonna draw the defense quite enough as a score or be that elite kind of pick and roll operator passer like some of the point guards who run a lot of pick and roll but don't score that well are so i think he could be a nice secondary option i would especially given his age and the lack of length and athleticism i don't think there's much more upside to explore than that maybe if he becomes an unbelievable off the dribble three-point shooter and then he can bend the defense that way but that's there are very few guys in the nba who are are just a must to blitz off the pick and roll due to their shooting ability um so should we move on here yeah let's do it the next team alphabetically is the los angeles lakers they are 12 and 12 on the season five and six since the last 15 60 and even more or concerning than the record is negative 3.3 net rating that's 24th in the nba they're 23rd in offense and 21st in defense and 538 which hasn't liked their models haven't liked the lakers all year really don't like them now um raptor 27 percent chance of making the playoffs 36 wins would be 11th elo a little bit better at 45 percent could start with this question from marcos uh, could the Orlando Wings help the Lakers? Brian brings up Terrence Ross and Gary Harrison. Ross, one of the big challenges there is a similar similar thing to some of the other guys that they brought in, which is that Ross is more of a one-way player. I don't think that his defense is, is to the level, and I don't think that his, to the level that the Lakers, you know, especially as a playoff thing. Like, could he help them right now? Yeah, potentially. I mean, they need help in their rotation, but they're going to get some, some guys back. Harris is more interesting to me because I think that he brings you know, if healthy, which is a huge caveat for him, he brings some defense and also kind of, he doesn't get in his own way offensively and bring something that the Lakers would not have needed last year, but is something that they need this year. So I, I think as a buyout candidate, if you could th- think that he could use this time to get his body right, yes, I think Gary Harris could help the Lakers. Would they actually play him over some of these other guys that they brought in over the offseason? I don't know. Yeah, Gary Harris is essentially just a, a worse version of KCP at this point. Who they but they, but they desperately need somebody like KCP, so... Yeah, and Harris, so I think you know, Zach Lowe wrote about him a, a little bit recently that, you know, this is a guy who's averaging 17 points a game at one point, and he's just the physical toll, I think, that all these injuries have taken on him. He can't finish at the rim anymore, which used to be a, a fair amount of his game. He doesn't get out in transition anymore. He obviously can't hit shots, I and mean, he's basically just a pure defensive guard at this point, and there might be some use for him. I would be very interested in him as a buyout guy. And if you play AD at center, maybe you can get away with playing Harris some. You know, if you're going up against, say, the Warriors, he, he could be useful. But yeah, other than that guard defense, he does not bring a, a ton. And Terrence Ross, I think they kind of already got the same guy in Wayne Ellington. I would say Ellington maybe is even a slightly better defender than Ross. Ross has more athleticism, but he's one of the worst defensive guards in basketball. And Ellington, I would consider a little bit more reliable of a shooter. Ross has really been struggling this. He struggled last year too, and now he's really struggling this year to hit shots. So I think as a buyout flyer guy, either Ross or Harris might be interested in them. We'll see who else becomes available, but I wouldn't expect either to particularly change LA's destiny. I don't necessarily want to make it a full Watfo, but we can do this question from, from Alexander Memorio. He said, Watfo, the, the odds that Westbrook is traded by the deadline are opening night 2022. And an important element to consider in these is not how we feel about it, but the people who are making this decision, that includes Rob Polinka, that includes LeBron James, and when do they identify, if they even ever agree with the way that we assessed it, when would that happen? And so Westbrook overall for the season at this point... 52% true shooting on 28 usage, 37 assist percentage. The efficiency is actually ahead of his full season numbers last year for the Wizards. I believe it's also ahead of, well ahead of where he was at this point last year for the Wizards, because remember how horrendously he started the year. But I don't think, my instinct is that the people who thought Russell Westbrook was going to make sense, I don't think they've gotten enough information yet to have changed their mind. That if that happens, it would happen, I think, during the late season and during the playoffs. So I would say the odds that he gets traded in 
season this year are extremely low unless there's some sort of personality thing where it's like, okay, we're going to do it. And then in the off season, I would say it's possible, but still pretty unlikely. And then the shifting factor is that Russell Westbrook is going to get paid $47.1 million next year. So what team is interested in that? And the Lakers don't have a ton of assets to make it a salary dump deal or anything like that. Yeah. uh, Also, I don't know who would want Westbrook. If he's failing in LA, it seems like this is the last stop. We always the Lakers are willing to do stuff that some other organizations uh, are not one of those I think would be acquiring Russell Westbrook in the manner that they did and yeah I just don't see the team that is interested in Russell Westbrook acquiring Russell Westbrook is a win now move nobody's in more of a win now mode than the Lakers are and you know maybe if the Lakers you know are the seventh seed and get bounced out in the first round or don't even make it into the playoffs then maybe there's a feeling that there needs to be another huge shakeup for the 97th consecutive year other than the year they won the championship and yeah I think that the odds of him being traded this year I would put it you know under five percent there would have to be just something something totally crazy would have to happen and and I think particularly because and we talked about this yesterday on Dunkton Prom LeBron's the one that wanted Russell Westbrook he seems to be the guy who pushed for that the most um and LeBron had a chance to give Frank Vogel an endorsement it was a rather tepid one if that in his comments earlier this week and obviously LeBron is thinking hey the reason it's got to be the coaching because he's the one who pushed for Russell Westbrook he's not going to acknowledge oh yeah wait a minute I was wrong I shouldn't have pushed for Russell Westbrook he thinks Russell Westbrook is awesome and they're just not getting coached right it you mean LeBron be more likely <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um this is what i wanted to do that's interesting whether paul george because we we're going to do the clippers next paul george or russell westbrook has the, the most egregious turnovers does this hinge on whether you think of the word more as applying to volume or applying to severity because <laughs> so yeah higher pro- hi- higher amount of egregious turnovers russell westbrook but the but paul george has paul george has more just like inconceivable turnovers than almost anybody in the league yeah i would say uh, you know you could probably throw draymond and stuff into that category oh too, that guys, that's a good call yeah guys who are just like like what the fuck were you thinking turnovers or just like or did you just you're not concentrating or something like how did how did this happen um completely inexplicable but i i would say russell westbrook has more turnovers most of his come from not just bad decisions at the time of the pass but it's getting himself into an impossible situation with the dribble where then he's just very likely to turn it over whereas george i think is kind of more it's just the weird decision making so here let's take a look at the play-by-play here uh russell westbrook of his turnovers that they'll be categorized the basketball reference has this as either bad pass or lost ball are your two most common turnovers so lost ball is kind of is like a dribble turnover uh russell westbrook is 81 bad passes and 12 lost ball and so that's about an eight to one ratio of bad pass to lost ball whereas paul george is 65 bad pass 28 lost ball so that's really more just a a two and a half to one ratio for bad pass to lost ball for george's eight so really there's something for everyone here uh i guess the fact that george has more dribbling turnovers would kind of and most of those are kind of happening out top uh, as well whereas the russell russell westbrook is more bad pass that actually kind of is the opposite of what i was saying where it seems like george is the one just like losing his handle getting in bad situations whereas westbrook is making bad decisions but i think a lot of his bad decisions also come for just driving into three guys and having nowhere to go on on some of these passes so it really is just eye of the beholder do you prefer just being bad at dribbling and getting your pocket picked or do you prefer driving into three guys and throwing a pass that has no chance and is going to get intercepted Uh, i really i don't feel qualified to comment it's really you know two equal forms of art perhaps Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife... And I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. 
And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix Sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so let's move on to the form discussed la clippers they are now 13 and 12 slightly ahead of the lakers uh five and eight since the last 15 and 60 but they have a positive net rating plus 2.1 which is good for 11th in the league and that's because of their defense they're 24th in offense second in defense and 538's Raptor model projects them to finish with 42 wins, which will be 7th in the West, 70% chance of making the playoffs, and ELO a little bit less optimistic at 65%. And we could start with this question from uh, Film Cricket. How difficult would it be for the Clippers to resign Isaiah Hartenstein as a, in the offseason? How much will he get as a free agent? And the overall situation for the Clippers is one that, that Clippers fans should be familiar with, which is a one-year a player on a one-year contract. At the end of that, you only have non-bird rights. And so non-bird rights allow you to give him a 20% raise unless you're... Unless it's willing to use the the mid-level exception and hartenstein tough guy to you know like the, we've at many points it's been the how does a guy get off of a minimum and i mean some of the on off stats and everything else are really loving what he's doing so far this year but especially at center i think what it would take is you know javel got well over the minimum but he was established and had won a you know won championships and everything else so i wouldn't be i wouldn't be stunned if the market never fully fully materialized to the point where he you know it's a close call for him versus you know taking 120 percent with the clippers yeah if uh, the way he's protected the rim i think maybe would encourage some potential suitors i'm trying to think of what team would be interested in him though as a potential starter because that really if you're a backup center you're not getting more than five million i would suspect and also i still think just due to brand issues hartenstein i think a, a lot of people just won't see how well he's played so far this year i also think he's still an offensive liability i don't think he's very good at, as a scorer but he definitely has made some strides as a rip protector this year to be sure and, and that certainly 
certainly has some value would he be an interesting buy low candidate for say the charlotte hornets uh, just to get a better defensive option in there than they've had i don't think he's any worse of an offensive player than Plumley. they're both sort of can only finish on dunks around the basket uh, sort of offensive games but if I had to guess, I think I see him getting not getting more than $5 million a year next year. And again, we'll see how his season plays out and how the season for the Clippers plays out as well, right? In theory, he's not even supposed to be in the rotation. It's, it's supposed to be Serge Ibaka, but Ibaka is working his way back from that back surgery, and we'll see whether he ever even gets there also. So much to be seen so far, but if he can continue to play the exact same way he's played it, you know, I could see him getting above the minimum, at least, for sure. Yeah, and question from Luca E. Looking back, would the Clippers still make the Bledsoe-Beverly trade? As a reminder, what that trade was from the Clippers' perspective, they sent Beverly, Daniel Oturu, and Rajon Rondo to the Grizzlies for Eric Bledsoe. And Bledsoe has not only this year, but he has a partial guarantee of $4 million for of, of his $19.4 million for next year. And the theory behind it was basically that they needed somebody who could could do a little bit more, you know, they could do a little bit more offensively. And they wondered about Beverly's availability, which has been a relevant problem for the Wolves. I, I think he's helped the Wolves, but he's been, you know, he hasn't, been, he's had missed some time with injuries he's doing right now. So if it were me, and as, uh, I, especially because the, I just didn't think that Bledsoe was going to move the needle enough for them offensively. Like, even though I disagreed with it, I understood the concept of the trade. My instinct is that they probably, that, that he hasn't given them enough to make it worthwhile. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. 26% from three. He's, if there was a thought that they were going to make him a better shooter, this is easily the worst shooting season of his career since uh, he was in a Clippers uniform last time, <laughs> frankly. And so he's just not getting guarded. He's not enough of a defensive difference maker to make up for it. They still are, are playing him a lot. I think the acquisition of him is probably the number one reason you can point to that the Clippers offense has been a massive disappointment so far this year. Obviously, you could throw Reggie Jackson in there as well as number two. But I, I think when you throw in playing Bledsoe and you're also playing a center who doesn't shoot, I mean, there's a lot of reasons too. Marcus Morris not being available, Batum being in the protocols, etc. But I think Bledsoe to me is worse on both ends than Beverly and part of the reason why I think this move was made was acknowledging that Kawhi Leonard's uncertain return this year and maybe it wasn't worth it for Beverly to keep all those guys around including Rondo they saved a ton of money on taxes this isn't a team going for a championship if Bledsoe worked out he could maybe stick around next year or they can move on from that so we thought hey they might even be able to get Patrick Beverly to come back next year <laughs> as the next uh since his contract is uh, expiring so I you know, I, I think it's really, if your goal was to say, hey, let's just make the LA Clippers the most competitive team on the floor that we could have this year, uh, I think that deal very clearly is a mistake. When you consider the financial components and just that maybe it's not worth it to pay all this luxury tax when you're not necessarily a championship contending team this season, which it seems like it's heading, heading that way, and may, maybe they even are going to need more tweaks if Kawhi comes back I still think they could put some lineups out there that can cause a lot of problems for people and but even if Kawhi comes back he's probably not going to be that Kawhi Leonard I understand the move it is disappointing I might have still even done it in their stead given that you just can't throw even Steve Ballmer you can't just throw away his money on a season where you're not a championship contender and it seemed like you know there's there's a scenario in which Bledsoe could give them more than Beverly again I think both of us thought that Beverly was the superior player I think that's proved to be correct but Bledsoe was supposed to be more reliable but fortunately he's been reliably bad and you know he's a backup at best right now and they have this huge roll carved out for him so yeah that, that's a, a long-winded way of saying i get why they did it but it's sir not helping them this year are you ready to move on to the rockets yeah i think so let's do it uh the rockets now have won six straight seven and 16 we mentioned yesterday on dunked on prime that crazy stat that they're the first team in any sport as far as anyone could tell to win six straight games immediately after losing 15 or more uh they are six and five since the last 15 and 60 negative 6.9 net rating is 26th in the nba 27th on offense although their offense has been a big part of why they've had a resurgence we've talked about why that is obviously with christian wood now playing center Tice's role minimized and also frankly Jalen Green being out so they've actually put up a buck 10 I think in their last four games coming into tonight and and their defense actually has been respectable now 19th in the NBA they still project for only 20 wins which would be tied for last in the west 
They will not be making the playoffs. What do you want to start with here? We can start with this one um, from Mr. Random. How real is this Garrison Matthews hot streak? And to put some numbers on it, in the five games that Garrison Matthews has started for the Heat. Rockets. Rockets. Same thing. I mean, he's shooting like he was the, the, like a member of the Heat at that time. Uh, 76% true shooting on 14% usage in those games. He's 21 of 43 from three, which is completely ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, Garrison Matthews isn't going to make, you know, he's not going to score 16 points a game on basically just bobbing, bombing a ton of threes. But he is a good shooter. And he, the part that he plays in opening up the offense, especially when you're largely using him to replace a big, I think some of that is real, even if he's not going to shoot to this degree for the rest of his life yeah and i i've noted that moving on from Jalen green at least the way he was playing right now really helps kind of solidifying kevin porter jr's role with wood at center getting more shooting around him with the uh, matthews and armani brooks also has had his role increased and he's another shooter who has to be accounted for that really helps just to and i think matthews made a good call coming to houston remember he was actually on a two-way slot with boston and kind of asked out of that because they didn't see a way for him to get promoted to the big squad i think with houston that's much more likely for him to be able to forge a career here playing off of some of these young players that they have uh so uh, like he's a really good shooter he's a good movement shooter i think he definitely has a place in the nba i was surprised that, that his market was as limited as it was could do this one quickly from matthew fisher he asked how we would handle the john wall situation if we we're the gm or owner and it is a a really tough one when you consider the amount of money that wall is getting paid and what i would do is i would i would give him a choice and this would be obviously not in the public eye i'd say we, what our intention for you were you to were you to play is to to be our to be our backup point guard to play you know 15 to 20 minutes a game depending on porter jr's availability and if he's rather do that than sit at home more power to him if he'd rather rather sit at home or do something in practice than than that then that's fine as well and for, I, i'm there's a part of me that is sympathetic for john wall because the, you know he's he has been such a good player in the league and now that he's finally closer to healthy and it doesn't seem like he could be out there but at the same point you it is you you the reason he has kind of like a straight jacket is because he's getting paid an ungodly amount of money on a contract that he signed and you know has been paid significantly more than the value he has provided to his basketball teams over that time so i'm sympathetic but only to a point yeah i think so and we've seen this happen with a lot of guys kevin love is another one where their contract is almost so big that they can't be bought out and blake griffin was in this situation too but blake griffin was willing to give up he was willing to give up money in a buyout right and i think if john wall were willing to and kemba walker and and, and blake and blake griffin well. notably didn't make that up on his next contract and yeah. not to say yeah. oh it's admirable that he did that it was just a choice that blake griffin made yeah he wanted to get out of detroit he felt like he made enough money and he wanted to be on a championship contender and you know now he's not even playing for them uh, unfortunately Although he does deserve credit for he had a, he had a nice series against the Bucks defensively. Yeah, I, I, and Love is in this. Kemba Walker also he gave up a lot of money. He knew he had an offer coming from the Knicks to make that back. John Wall, I think if there were a team out there that wanted to really give him some money, maybe this would be possible. I just don't think there is that team as of right now. He didn't play well enough last year, and also remember had some more injury issues as well. He didn't play well enough last year to really entice a market even maybe in the 10 million dollars a year range and hey guess what like he wants to start he wants to compete for a starting job yeah houston is a team that is going to stack the deck against him in terms of doing that because they want porter jr and jalen green to be their starters understandably so given where the franchise is but is there another team that's bringing in john wall as a starter at this point i don't see one yeah you know we got asked on tour spaces today which is available to Dunktown Prime subscribers uh, about uh, Jalen Brunson and his potential trade market. And I certainly believe that I'm not even sure that there's a team out there that really wants to trade for Jalen Brunson and then bring him in and pay him like a starter. And so, you know, he's obviously is a, is a better, considered better than John Wall uh, at this point. So yeah, I don't see necessarily how this is going to resolve, but I would say, Hey, you know what? Like we're going to, we're, our plan is to play you 20 or 25 minutes as the backup point guard and if you're going really well in a certain game you might have a chance to close games you know if, if we're trying to win and that's what steven silas thinks is best for the team to close games but that's where you're not going to start and you know that's just not part of where we are and uh you know i, I that would that would probably be my approach at this point and if he 
isn't willing to do that then you know I, I wouldn't go to the point of finding him because if i'm the rockets it just it doesn't matter whether he wants to whether he actually does it or not yeah that's why i'd, I'd let it be his choice yeah so so there's no reason to just like force him to you know pull up and sixers and ben simmons and, like trying to force him to play oh we have a couple other questions i'll let you pick which one is most intriguing to you yeah ashley kissick what are some realistic landing spots for eric gordon how about a trade being constructed and i think the the biggest question he has that we'll probably focus on here is would houston expect any draft compensation i think that only would be the case if gordon's contract were being exchanged for a worse one yeah i mean eric gordon making 20 million 196 next season is not exactly a positive value contract even if you like eric gordon yeah and in terms of just how good of a player gordon is he's kind of in that same realm i think as thaddeus young where i don't know that a team would be bringing him in to start but he could help them as a depth piece and plays good defense probably more useful when healthy as a playoff player in certain matchups but then the more complicating factor as you alluded to is that 19.6 million for next year and so gordon is i would say is not a positive value on his contract right now he is a positive value as a player like i think he could definitely be an upgrade for some teams like the <clears throat> lakers but there come in issues with matching salary and then the costs for next year for a team that's expensive and doesn't necessarily want to take a money you know, i think eric gordon could be very useful on the chicago bulls yeah for example also but another team that isn't going to want to take on money for next year it seems like that's why they didn't do the nance deal they well, uh or like the Mavericks, like I think he could help. He could help be a part of their rotation. No, I, I think that's right too. You know, if the, and maybe Dwight Powell for Eric Gordon could be somewhat of a framework. But then, and, and in that case, yes, I probably would expect to get a little something for, with Powell making about eleven million this year, and same for next year. He, he expires after next year, right? Yes, Powell expires after next year, and, and yeah, Gordon so, is so they're not on the same timeline for twenty three, twenty four, unless the team wins a championship. Yeah, so that might be an interesting one to to help out the Mavs. I, I think that's a good one and then you know maybe the Mavs would give up a little something uh but the Mavs also are out assets going forward. I, I'm not sure that Gordon for Powell and a first makes a, enough sense for Dallas to do. I think they they want to save some of that ammunition to go for a, a higher ceiling move. I mean, the, Gordon could also potentially be a buyout candidate, but I don't think that would happen until at minimum after the transaction market finishes the next summer. Um, and then, you know, maybe he, he could kind of be in the Walker situation where he would give up six or seven million bucks and hope to get that somewhere as well. Well, but and also Gordon, he's at his age. You know, we've he's kind of been putzing around in purgatory in Houston the last couple of years. So be interesting to see sometimes when those guys get on a good team, you find out, oh wait, they're at an age where they just they don't have it anymore. Yeah, the the thresholds change a lot. I was also thinking about Gordon if there will if the Clippers are really willing to spend Steve Ballmer's money, a Gordon Bledsoe framework because Gordon has guaranteed money and Bledsoe is only partially guaranteed. But and I actually think Gordon is a much better fit for the full strength Clippers than Bledsoe is. But that would be a lot of money to pay for somebody that you're not even sure is going to start. Yeah, and that would be an interesting one, right? Is that enough for you for Houston? Would you do it simply to get that 15 million dollars of salary relief for next year and not get anything else back i would yeah what are they doing with that money next year the rockets for next year are basically already you know they're not gonna be a cap room team it looks like almost certainly like they're basically right at the cap for next year already so getting 15 million under wouldn't really help much they still have room to use the full mid-level if that's what they wanted to and then they have no non-rookie scale contracts on the books for the 23-24 season uh, other than Daniel Tice and you know or I should say nothing over 10 million there are a couple of non-rookie scale contracts but they're pretty low level so I think Houston's long-term books are good enough that I don't know that I would want to just make that trade just I mean it would just be saving Tillman for Tita money but from a competitive standpoint I don't think there would be a reason to do that trade unless obviously the clips threw in more than that uh Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed 
to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, womenswear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Okay, let's move on to our next team here, and that is the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, the Golden State Warriors are respectable 20-4, and 9-3 and three since the last 15-60. and 60. They are crushing the league right now, top in net rating at almost a plus 13, even filtering out garbage time, third in offense, first in defense, and 538 still projects they'll finish third in the West in the Raptor model. With 54 wins, remember, it was very skeptical of them at the beginning of the season, and Golden State is going to make the playoffs. Um, let, let me quickly, I, a couple of... Uh, or one observation that I had before we get get started uh, on the questions for them. And that is a lot of people have been saying, and this came up with LeBron James as well. And it comes up with a lot of these guys. I mean, I shouldn't say a lot of these guys, because there are very few who have been able to perform at the level that stuff is at go into age 33, soon to be age 34. People used to say this about LeBron when he was like 32, 33 of like, Oh yeah, he's playing, but he's even better than he ever was. And that's just not true. Nope. <laughs> that, that was not true for LeBron when you go back and look at the force that he was in 2013 Miami particularly on the defensive end and athletically even you know when you're talking about 2017 2018 his last couple of years in Cleveland that oh he's playing at the best level ever he's putting at points he put up some of his best stats ever but it was a, a different era as well and I would say the same about Steph and I think the, the biggest concern that I have it's not the biggest concern I have about the Warriors but one of the concerns I have and this came out in the three games against two against Phoenix one against the Spurs those are all long athletic playmaking defenses is Steph really struggling to finish from two and overall I think that's been the case this year he's not getting to the basket and finishing the way he was and he's not able to create separation off the dribble the way he was either right like if you put 2016 Steph on an island against DeAndre Ayton he would just cross that guy up and get a three or blow by him and create something good and I think DeAndre Ayton can stay with Steph uh, on in isolation right now. Like Steph can't get the same sort of separation. The one move he has is kind of the hard dribble left, get the forearm into the guy, use his body, and then go for the step back to his left. And other than that, though, teams that can defend some of the off-ball stuff with topsiding him and that can switch, there are, there are fewer matchups that Steph Curry can torch one-on-one. That's why he's not the same offensive player that he was five years ago, which is no shame in that. He still is a great, great player. But I, I have more concerns about his resiliency against an athletic playoff defense than I would have a, a few years ago, even going back to 2019, because again, just the inability to create his own shot off the dribble is something that he needs to be able to rely on. And, and he just has not been able to do that. And then also on games when his three-point shot isn't falling, he doesn't have the ability to get in and still shoot of really high percentage from two-point range i think against a, a good athletic defense so just wanted to wanted to get that out there still a great great player we know about it, all the gravity all that and what it does for an offense and you know, it's not like they have any other great offensive players on this team and they're still third in in offense and that's a, a big part of him but uh all said there let's get into this first one here uh josh says can the warriors still be considered one of the championship favorites even if they can't rectify how they perform in the non-stuff minutes Yes, because there are going to be fewer non-step minutes in the playoffs. And also because at this moment in time, there isn't that insanely high ceiling championship contender. I mean, you and I were talking about it in the first half of this 15 and 60 about, you know, is there a serious championship contender in the West other than the Jazz and Nuggets? And both of those teams are sorry, Jazz and Suns. And both those teams have flaws too. It's not like they're they're perfect. You know, the Jazz, the jazz defensive issues have, have come up and they would be very prevalent against the Warriors as well. And I so so can they get there? And then if you're facing, you know, the Bucks could have some challenges with the Warriors, the Nets, and whoever, whoever else could potentially get there. So yeah, they could be the next, but that it is a real problem. And they're the, the kind of the theory of the case, the work, Kerr to his credit has done some interesting stuff there going with a few more defenders and going with some, some better passers and kind of solving it that way, as opposed to having a, you know, a capable backup point guard because Bob Myers didn't get one this year. So I, I think that's, 
I think it's it's sol- it's not solvable, but I think it's not a big enough problem to take them out, assuming everything else is working okay. Yeah, Warriors, 13 points per 100 possessions better offensively when Curry is on the floor than off per NBA.com. And the pool on non-Curry minutes haven't been amazing either. Hopefully, Clay Thompson can help rectify that, although I, I do... I'm so fascinated to see how he's going to look because everyone, all these reports, all these rave reports and stuff like that, I'm just still at his age coming off those injuries. I, I'm I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to give him this year, but I just, I don't want to count on that if I'm them. But you got to, obviously he's making $40 million. You got to see what it looks like and play that out before maybe trying to make a move at the deadline. What do we got else? here for the warriors well i think we should do this do this one from stupid nba fan it's it's a question that i've been getting a little seeing a little bit which is the idea of trading james wiseman for miles turner and so basically the idea being that you know wiseman isn't isn't going to help the warriors as much right now as miles turner and the money in it isn't it's it's not like miles turner because he's only making 18 this year he's not so expensive that a deal with wiseman as the principal is is impossible whereas if you know if you get into a more expensive player it would have to, it would have to be you know like Wiggins or something like that uh Andrew Clark where would Draymond Green sit in an all-time oh wait I didn't answer the question list? oh I'm um, sorry go ahead so my inclination is to say that I would just because there's a very distinct chance that James Wiseman is never as good a player as Miles Turner is right now the problem is you would have to conceive of the different defense very differently. Like you're not going to, you can't run things the same way when you have Turner and Green. Now you could be damn good. You're just going to have to be different. And Turner is a, he's a smaller part of the offense. I think that's totally fine. I think that's, that's a criticism that isn't that, that isn't, that isn't really that damning for me. So if you think you can make a, you know, a kind of, it doesn't have to be a straight drop or something, but if you, a less switchy defense possible, I think he, he makes their closing five better. And that's the whole concept to me that would make a Wiseman trade worth it but so i don't i don't think i would do it just because to me the reason you trade wiseman or kaminga or moody is for somebody that fits in really well into that closing five assuming steph clay draymond and wiggins are the other four and i don't think as much as i love miles turner i don't think he fits seamlessly enough to be sure yeah that trade would probably have to include kavan looney as well yeah for to, make him out, to make the salaries work and yeah, who knows what's going on with Wiseman. Slater wrote a piece today about how he's still hasn't come back and should we be concerned or not. And I guess it's just been very slow for him to hit some of the benchmarks that Rick Celebrini wants for him. All right, I'm going to take a few of these real quickly. Uh, Ryan Clark, why does Steve Kerr refuse to play Kaminga and Moody when they will need them in the playoffs? I don't see it that way, Ryan. I think that neither of them is really going to be ready to contribute a ton in the playoffs, particularly once you consider... Clay Thompson and Andre Guadalla will probably be available. Well, and, and you and, narrow yeah. your rotation in the playoffs. You don't expand it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would really surprise me if we're in a situation in the playoffs where they're like, oh, man, if only they developed Kaminga and Moody more. Well, those and, guys could be contributing and, and also, now. It seems like, unlikely. The, I brought this up years ago in a KJ McDaniels piece. Like playing time is not the only way to develop those players. Like I think a lot of times yeah. fans use that as a shorthand when that's only a small part of what the team actually does. Uh, Dave asked, what are the chances Clay scores 50 in a game this season? I'll put it at 2%. That's probably too high. And, and then from Matt Cox. Because <laughs> um, he's, he's playing enough minutes. So I think he's going to be on minutes limit too. A question from Matt Cox. I know it's far out there. Can the Warriors keep Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole long term? Can they? Yes. Both those players, they'll have full bird rights on them. Wiggins unrestricted in 23-24. And at that point, Steph and Clay are already under contract. Draymond is not. It would just be really expensive. I think my, my instinct is that Wiggins would be like that he'd be interested in, in sticking around just because the role is the role is good and I don't know unless the Warriors like win a title in 22 or 23 that he will have that will have teams beating down the door for him and with Poole I mean it's rest- it's a restricted process I think that that will be enough to to tamp it down assuming that he you know that that he doesn't go completely crazy and so I, th- I, th- I think they will have the they definitely can retain those players and as of right now I just say I expect that they will Last one here. Where would Draymond Green sit in an all-time defensive player list? Don't have time to go through the whole thing right now and figure this out. This would be a, a fun pod, but Bill Russell is the number one. If you've never read Ben Taylor's work on him and just how completely ridiculous the Celtics were, but to give you an idea, he was basically playing every minute. The Celtics 
some of these seasons are last in the league in offense and they still have the best point differential because their defense is so much better than league average that they're still the best team even though they're last in offense because their defense is so much better than their offense was bad so bill russell it's bill russell and then everyone else i mean he basically won over 10 championships largely as their best player and largely on defense now it's possible certainly for a, a great defender in the two-point only era to do more at that time i would probably have a keem some of like the great rim protecting centers back when great rim protecting centers mattered even more because more shots were taken around the rim rebounding was more important so i would have a keem probably above him too i think you'd have to have kg above him i think you'd have to have tim duncan above draymond now if you're talking about just who could be the most valuable and reach the highest level in the playoffs i might have draymond you know right up in that mix but also regular season matters length of career matters as well Draymond's only been doing it since 2012 I think the fact that he's had this renaissance again the last couple of years has been important and he can continue to build on that another defensive player of the year obviously would be big another great playoffs would we be, be big in that you know I think Ben Wallace probably run a similar category to that maybe Dennis Rodman as well would be around the same level so i mean i think he's probably a top 10 defensive player of all time you know and then it's also how do you want to deal with guys like gobert or mark eaton who is a, a great defensive player but are a little bit more one-dimensional than him i think draymond's a more valuable playoff defender than either of those guys potentially so regular season you'd have to have him a lot further down the list but we emphasize playoffs more so i think probably top 10 all time when you consider playoff results at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Should we move on here? Yeah, let's go to the Denver Nuggets after their loss that we did for the NBA cast against the Chicago yeah. Bulls. They are 11 and 12. You, you want to talk briefly, here, sorry to interrupt there, but let's talk briefly after you do the stats about just that game last yeah, night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they're 11 and 12, 3 and 8 since the last 15 and 60. Negative one net rating is 20th in the league. They're surprisingly low, but Jokic has been out 17th on offense and a surprisingly decent 16th on defense. 538 still optimistic, projects that they will win 45 games, which is tied for fourth, 86% chance of making the playoffs per Raptor, 80% per ELO, which is significant when you consider that they're under 500 as we record this. And yeah, so we did that game for the NBA cast. And part of what was so intriguing for me was how these coaches handled two very short, each team being really shorthanded offensively. And I thought that both teams actually had good game plans at the start, but Jokic was a wrecking squad early and later on, it just didn't happen at quite the same effect. Yeah, Nikola Vucevic uh, played him pretty well. Those those guys know each other well, and Jokic didn't have quite his usual touch on some of his mid-rangers. I, I thought Jokic had a pretty decent defensive game. The biggest difference to me in these two teams was the Bulls' transition game oh, versus man. the Nuggets' transition game, and... Mike Malone called a bunch of timeouts, particularly at the beginning of the fourth quarter when the Bulls continued to get out and run. And Denver's guards obviously are very limited. You know, Will Barton is just so overstretched as their primary perimeter creator right now. Monte Morris, again, good backup, but asking a lot of him, especially against a good defensive team like Chicago, to be the lead initiator. So Jokic has to do everything. He did have the 15 assists that that looked good I, I thought Jokic continues to show better defense this year he had a couple of nice contests around the rim that I didn't think he was necessarily capable of in previous years he had a couple of times when he got a little too far out on an island against Zach Levine but that happens to even the best guys against Zach Levine so Jokic continues to look really good you know now he's not quite as effective when he can't just mash his primary matchup in the post the way he can with Vucevic and then you also run into problems where Vucevic can stay closer to him because the guards are non-threatening you know, we've been dealing with that for a while and you know obviously Jokic wasn't too effective when he went 14 to 19 in their blowout of the Knicks over the weekend 
So I think Denver can continue to kind of mosey along here without Porter and without Murray at, you know, a slightly above 500 sort of pace, dangerous at home, probably underdog against most good teams on the road, that that sort of thing. Um, anything else on that game yesterday? I was really, I, I thought it was a strong performance from Iota Sunmu. And I know technically this is not the Bulls section, but we're talking about the game. Um, first start, played 42 minutes, played really hard, had a couple of nice, nice drives and was actually, I thought he was their best playmaker when Zach Levine was not on the floor. Levine played 39 minutes. He was on the floor whole, whole health a lot of that game. And I, so I thought Dasunmu did a nice job. And Lonzo Ball was very disruptive defensively, had a bunch of blocks and deflections, which was fun. I also thought uh, Jermichael Green had one of the worst games I've seen for a bench player all season. He was one out of eight, couldn't finish anything around there, and he missed a, a layup and a dunk in quick succession. He was a big reason why they got completely smoked in the non-Jokic minutes. I mean, they lost by 12, and Jokic was still plus seven in this one. And yeah, Green was negative 22 in 11 minutes. A lot of defensive mistakes. He had a key foul that turned into a flagrant on a four-point play that then became a six-point play and really enabled the Bulls to get the separation that the Nuggets were never able to clean up late in I think that was late in the third that that happened it was 77-73 all of a sudden it was 83-73 and that was kind of the end as far as the Nuggets being close in the game so yeah Jermichael Green and then Zeke Naji you know, those two guys played on the second unit Naji struggled some as well he's just he's not a very explosive finisher and that's a limitation of his game even though he is shooting it better from outside he had that great shooting game against the Knicks obviously so he's kind of like a 4.5 you know he doesn't protect the rim all as well as I kind of hope that he would Malone doesn't really seem that comfortable using him in kind of a he's used as more of a combo forward than than a center which he's mobile enough to do and he shoots it well enough to do but you also would hope he could add more of those center skills it wasn't a great game for him wasn't a great game for Green those guys will look a little bit better uh we did get to see uh one minute of Peter Cornelly he took uh two shots Danny was excited about that yes I was Uh, let's do a couple of these questions here though before yeah, we um, get moving so Chris Stevens asked kind of a conceptual one you know Nuggets are in a tough situation when two of their three best players are out for a while um, would you try to improve the team via trades draft picks or tread water hoping to get lucky in the buyout market I don't think you're focused on this year at Denver especially now with the Michael Porter Jr. news like you just you take your lumps this year and also remember that the Nuggets are out two first round picks moving forward their 23 is lottery protected and then two years after that is only top five protected so what that means is they're not strong on draft picks and they already traded RJ Hampton in the in the Aaron Gordon deal so this is not an asset rich franchise at the moment so I a I wouldn't be buyers anyway b you can't really buy that much with what they have yeah because you feel like their situation this year is is with the Porter Jr. injury is kind of trending towards uh, being relatively hopeless they they do have Aaron Gordon now under contract for next year they should be able to bring back their big four maybe they'll need to kind of improve their backup center situation you know, I still think that what they got from Millsap last year in that unit with Green was helpful. They haven't really been able to replicate that so far. Uh, Nathan asks, what position the stands you need to be in March to sit out Jamal Murray for the year if you are the Nuggets? And I think I would need to be like you. you here's the issue. Nikola Jokic is due for a designated player veteran extension after this season. And I think Jokic is competitive enough that he's going to want, he's he's not going to like the idea of giving up. So I think unless they're just like totally even out of the play in or like they're desperately scrambling for the 10th seed or something, or obviously if he has a setback as well, but I think it'll be good for Murray to get back. If he's cleared by doctors, they should bring him back for the last month and a half of the season. So he can at least hit the ground running next year. Yeah, and- Unless, yeah, go ahead. And, and there's a, sure there's a risk that he could get her unrelated or related to what he's having, but that's why you trust your doctors. And it's you don't need to keep the powder dry. I think he'd be he'll be he'll be rearing to play, and I I, th- I think it's a good idea if he's if he's ready to go, let him go. Yeah. So uh, Jokic fever dream asks our evaluations as far as Zeke now. I think I hit on that reasonably well uh, already talking about the last game. Let's finish up here with the eleven and eleven Mavs three and seven since the last fifteen and sixty. They've had Porzingis and Doncic in and out of the lineup as we record this they're actually playing Brooklyn in Dallas and Doncic is back along with Porzingis for that game Willie Cauley-Stein is still out the Mavs negative 2.4 net rating is 23rd so they are lucky to be 11 and 11 19th on offense 19th on defense so I, I know Bob Volgaris has been saying he thinks they're defending better than they had been in the past but it, that hasn't really shown up in the numbers 
Uh, they project for the sixth seed at 43 wins. That shows you how down the West is at 43 wins to get you the sixth seed right now. 74% chance of the playoffs per Raptor, 65% per ELO. So that means that their projection system kind of likes the players better than their performance so far. But uh, those Raptor odds don't know that Jason Kidd is now the Mavs coach either. What do you want to start with here? Let's do this one from Wayne Spoonie. Is Dallas in no man's land not good enough to truly compete, but not nearly bad enough to be the top of the draft? And my answer is, yeah, I I think that it is really hard to add the things that Dallas needs in order to, if the goal is to win a championship or at least be a viable contender, Luka can, you know, Luka could get to MVP level. I mean, he's already been in that, he's already been in that vicinity, but you need more than that to be a really competitive team. And, and so Dallas has a number of different problems, but one of them is also just the relative age of their roster. So you think about the, how the passage of time is going to work. And so Tim Hardaway Jr., age 29 season, Finney Smith, age 28, Porzingis, age 26, Brunson, 25. But then um, like a lot of their role players are in their early 30s. And so a team that doesn't have financial flexibility, a team that doesn't have draft assets, they're going to need to strike it rich in some form, whether that's like a late first round pick that absolutely hits it out of the park or a, one of the better mid-level exception signings. I mean, the gold standard there is probably PJ Tucker. And if the goal is to win a championship, it's going to be really hard for Dallas to do that over the next five years. No, I, we get so many questions from Mavs fans about this of what would you do and and how can they get into championship contention and I feel bad because I don't really they are one of the teams for which I just don't really have many answers at this point in time and normally you would say all right yeah this I mean you wouldn't say blow it up necessarily but you can't do that when you you have Luca anyway. You're continuing to build around him. Well, and you're going to be seem, and you're going to be so good that you're not going to get the benefits of tanking. Right? No, that's obvious. You know, unless there's some kind of an injury for Luca that's long term or, or something along those lines. So, um, you know, they've and they fired some bullets here. They've changed out their head coach and their front office maybe there's a thought with that 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 would help them in free agency well it didn't their big free agent was reggie bullock it seems like every year the mavs have a a chance all this cap space and then they end up just you know signing someone with the mid-level and keeping all their exceptions and just staying over the cap even though they could use cap space because no one wants to go there and i do think that's concerning that it doesn't look like luca is some huge free agency draw and also free agency just isn't a way to get guys anymore at this point in time and they still are out that pick going into the future from the Porzingis trade they don't really have any good young players in the pipeline that you think are going to change their destiny either yeah it's a, it's a it's a very difficult situation let's get to this question about uh Jason Kidd sure the one from Garrett uh how much of how much of the blame for Dallas's offensive struggles would you place on Kidd or is it poor player performance outlier shooting numbers and I think it's a, it's it's a mix of both uh, for those who remember I did a 15 and 60 segment on this a couple of weeks ago and I mean you don't expect to get to get the kind of the updated numbers on it Reggie Bullock 45% true shooting in 21 games Hardaway Jr 51% Finney Smith is at 55 now he's improved and then of course the Lucas struggles are, are on top of all that kind of stuff so yeah you expect that to be there but I also think that those players aren't aren't in as good a position to succeed because the offense is taking shots in worse places and doing some of the other Jason Kidd stuff yeah, they are taking shots in worse places. Their play types are pretty normal mm-hmm. it's, uh, in terms of compared to last year. The only thing that's up is they actually they haven't gotten much more transition than they did last year. They're twenty second now. Uh, it, oh, I guess that's actually points per possession rather than percentage of the time in transition. But, um, in percentage uh, yeah. of the time, they've gone all the way from thirtieth to twenty eighth. Thank you. Yeah. So that's not, and they don't have a, a point guard who's really going to push it really hard. Luka Doncic has to run everything. So asking him to also push up hard on every rebound is probably not realistic. He's also not that fast, although I think he can. That's one thing I would have liked to see him do more in transition. I thought he was pretty good there in Europe, but they've done just a little more posting up seven percent of the time rather than four so that's probably what's leading to an increase in mid-range shots but those post-ups have actually been relatively effective 0.96 points per possession i don't know that that's uh, the problem for them i think their biggest problem is just that they're not hitting spot ups and they already had a problem of not hitting enough spot ups last year that's part of what made them that ridiculous offense in 1920 was they had really good shooters then of course they lost seth curry and and that's sort of been on the vanguard of their problem making open shots yeah what one, one way of quantifying that um dallas shot 40 percent on corner threes in that 1920 season 37 6 last year 34.6 this year yeah i mean corner threes especially when you have Luca, those are wide open shots. Like you should be hitting at least 39% on those if you're a, a decent shooting team. 
Uh, let's do one more here before we wrap up. So we can do this one from Nepper. Um, with Kristaps Porzingis restoring some value after a terrible postseason of being a season close to the end of his contract, do you see his trade value is high enough for Dallas to get acceptable value back? And the Porzingis equation is actually somewhat similar to Ben Simmons, which is that Dallas doesn't have that many ways to improve their roster. And so if you're trading Kristaps Porzingis, I think you have to use that trade as a way to get a player who you see as a viable second or third best player on a really good team. And ideally somebody who is at least in the ballpark of Luca's time frame. I mean, like, at least as close as Porzingis is, you don't want to trade him for a 32-year-old who's a little bit better. And I don't see that trade really working. I don't I don't see a I don't see a team that simultaneously has that player and says, no, we like Porzingis so much better than that player, especially when Dallas doesn't have sweetener. So I even though Porzingis' value is higher and I know that there are Mavericks fans that are frustrated with numerous different parts of his fit and his availability and everything like that. I don't see I don't see that trade. All right. Well, this was fun. Glad we were able to finish up for you guys and hope you enjoyed on the free feed. Please consider subscribing to Dunked on Prime. This is going to be the last of the freebies. Uh, we actually were doing one more this week, but it uh, would be great to have you on there as well. You can also give Dunked on Prime as a gift as well. If you are listening ad-free right now uh, on Dunked on Prime, so we really appreciate your subscribing or even listening if you're on the free feed as well. So please tell people about this show and we'll be back really soon. Talk to y'all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.